Atamare, good morning, and Happy New Year. I'm going to read a story which, for most of you, if not all of you, will be very, very well known. But rather than sort of switch off or look out the window and admire the dandelions, try and listen to it as if this was the first time you heard it and see what things come out for you. So Luke chapter 15, the first three verses, and then we'll jump to verse 11. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners kept drawing near to hear Jesus. And both the Pharisees and experts in the law kept grumbling to each other, saying, This one welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable, saying, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the property that is coming to me. And he divided to them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a far country. And there he wasted his wealth by living recklessly. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine came across upon the country and he began to be in need. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave anything to him. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I am, parent, I am perishing here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out a long robe, the best one, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his son, the older one, was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants to him and inquired what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. 
But he became enraged and would not go in. And his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, these many years I have been serving you, and I never transgressed the commandment of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, the one who had devoured your living with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was right to make merry and be glad. For this one, your brother, was dead and is alive, and was lost and is found. I'm a fictional character, but Jesus is real. And like you, the people Jesus was talking to were real. They were Pharisees and teachers of the law, religious people who kept all the rules, were always in the synagogue, forever doing all the right God stuff. So they were horrified when Jesus started partying with and eating with the wrong people, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. So they confronted Jesus for he should take sin seriously and keep well clear of such low life. And Jesus responded by inventing me, a father. Though I'm sure he was actually thinking of his own father as well as himself in all the things he made me think and say and do. So here I am in the story. I'm wealthy. I own good farmland. I've got flocks of sheep and goats and even some cattle. I've got servants. And a house on the higher ground in the center of town, it's got two stories with upper rooms big enough for a party and a nice courtyard where the kids can play. I'm a senior man in the village, very respected and honored. And best of all, I've got two sons. On my death, they'll inherit everything, my land, my flocks, my wealth. My eldest son gets two-thirds, the double portion, my youngest son, one-third. And that's a really good future for them, something to look forward to. Even though, of course, I'm fit and healthy, and my death is hopefully a long way off. One day. One day, and the memory still shocks me, my youngest son came to me and said, Okay, Father, I want my share of the inheritance. I can't be bothered waiting anymore, so give it to me now. Well, such things are unheard of in my culture. There's no provision for it, not even in our laws. A father can decide which part of the estate he's going to give to each of his sons, but for a son to want to receive it before his father's dead is deeply insulting. It's as if he couldn't wait till I was dead. Actually, he wanted me dead, so he could have his share. 
His request was like a knife in my heart because I knew that if I gave him what he wanted, he'd take it, leave home, go far away and forget all about me. He'd live as if I didn't exist. So what should I do? What would you have done? I know what the village would have expected. I should have thrashed him, refused his demand, cut him off completely without a shekel, disinherited him, and thrown him out. He wanted me dead. I could have shown him I was very much alive and that I was in charge. But I didn't. I didn't because I loved that boy. So I did what he asked. I divided up the inheritance. I gave him ownership, title deeds for his share of the land and the rest of the household. Everyone was shocked at what I did. And my son, he took his share of the property put it up for sale and got a buyer for it in a few days, even though transfers of land in my country normally take months, even years. But he had to do it quickly because the whole village, when they heard what he had done, was so angry with him, they condemned him. He had brought disgrace on me, a senior person in the village and on the whole family. They accused him. They despised him. So he accepted the first offer he got, took the money and ran. And as far as everyone was concerned, indeed as far as he was concerned, he was as good as dead, cut off. But I loved that boy. Did I tell you that? I loved that boy. Even though he no longer loved me, even though he wanted me dead, even though he had taken what was mine and gone off on his own, he was still my son and I wanted him back. Well, I've got extensive network of business contacts around the place and I asked him them to look out for my son and bring me news of him. So I soon heard that he'd gone off to the land of the Gentiles, which was even more shameful and a disgrace for me to hear. And of course the whole village knew it. There were no secrets in our town. It was a terrible disgrace on them as well. But my contact told me, he's okay. He's having a good time. He's got a lot of friends and not a care in the world. But of course he was doing it all with the wealth that was really mine, and he couldn't care less about me. That was hurtful. That was painful because I still loved him. Did I tell you that? One day I heard terrible news. The country where my son had gone to was suffering an awful drought, and there was a terrible famine. My son had spent all his money and he'd been forced to hire himself out to a farmer to work in the pig farm. My son, my son living like a slave with unclean animals in a foreign pagan land, it broke my heart and I wept. The village heard the news too. 
and such news gets around quickly. They were very satisfied with this. Serves him right, they were saying. He's got exactly what he deserved for the way he treated his loving father. This is what happens to people like him, and it's totally right. But it gave me a ray of hope. I always thought that my son would probably never return home, but when I heard that he was so desperate, I began to hope that maybe, maybe his utter desperation would drive him back. So remember that my house is on a bit of a hill and has two stories. Well, from the roof you can see all of the town and beyond into the open countryside. I started going up there every morning at first light to spend an hour or two watching because I knew that if my son was going to come back, he'd probably try and sneak in before everyone was up and get home without the embarrassment of being seen in the village. So I watched. I went up there every day. I waited. Then, one day, I saw him in the distance. A pitiful sight, but I knew him. This was my son. I knew him even though he was dirty and dressed in rags, but he timed it wrong. People were already up, shops were opening, people were calling to one another. And if my son got to the village, I knew that they were what they would do to him. They hated him. They told me so. They never wanted him back. They'd set the dogs on him. They'd stone him. They'd beat him up. And I couldn't let that happen. I had to get to him first. And so I rushed downstairs, out into the street, calling my servants to follow. Then I did something I hadn't done since I was a boy. I ran. You need to understand something. In my country and culture, older, respectable people like me don't run, ever. Because in order to run, you have to take your long robe and hoist it up. And that means people see your legs. And that's a shameful thing for someone in my position to do. But I couldn't care less. I ran. Yes, I shot people. They stared. They pointed. Some even jeered at me. It was deeply humiliating. But all I could think of was my son and the joy of meeting him again. In fact, I put myself in the place of my son would be in if I didn't get to him first. All this abuse and shame would be his if he entered the village alone. He was the one who deserved it. I was the one who took it. So I humbled myself to save him. I loved him. So I took his shame and ran to him. When he saw me coming, he stopped. He was just as shocked and amazed to see me as the people behind me were. He was about to fall at my feet. I suppose he wanted to kiss my feet, but I grabbed him. I threw my arms around him. Boy, did he stink, but I kissed him. I kissed him, my runaway son, my disgrace of a son. There in front of all the people who were gathered, 
I did the very opposite of what they expected. After all the dishonor he'd given me and my village, I gave him the honor of a kiss. The greeting you give to someone you honor, I kissed him. He staggered back a bit and started to make a speech. He'd probably spent days rehearsing it as he trudged home. Father, he hadn't called me that since he de demanded his inheritance. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he stopped. And I thought he was going to say something more, but he just stopped and stood there, looking at me with his eyes wide with amazement and tears. But then the whole village were there. And I had to do something to make people understand that this was not some moment of emotional madness. So I turned to my servants, back to the house, fetch the best robe, the one I keep for really important occasions, bring it. And bring my signet ring, the one that gives authority within the house and trust within the family. And bring my sandals, for only slaves and children run around in bare feet. And some of the servants ran off to do that. And I said to the other servants, this evening, we're going to have a party. We're all going to celebrate. So kill the fatted calf so that we have enough meat for everyone. I want the whole village to accept and understand what I've done for this son of mine and honor me by coming to celebrate and rejoice with me. Soon my servants were back, and I put my best robe on my son, put the signet ring on his finger, and the sandals on his feet. I gave my son back his dignity, and his belonging, and his self-respect. I gave him back his life. And as I did this, I announced to everyone, this is my son. But they thought I'd dishonored him, disowned him. He was dead. For they thought, but they'd all treated him as dead. But I have given him back his life. He was lost. But now I am rescuing him and restoring him. Then we walked back home with my arm around him. When we got back inside the house, I said to him, you looked like you were going to say something else to me, but you didn't. What were you going to say when you stopped? And he said to me, I was so desperate in that foreign land. There was no food. I was starving. I had no money. I actually envied the pigs I was feeding. I even wanted to be a pig. If only I could have eaten what they were eating, which I couldn't. I begged people for food. They just walked by. No one gave me anything. I was so desperate that I thought I've no chance. Either I starve to death here or I go back to my father. But I couldn't imagine ever being your son again. Then I came up with this plan. Perhaps we could do a deal. I could work with you and you could pay me wages. And then if I got enough, I'd pay you back what I owe you, and then maybe I could be your son again. 
And then when I saw you running towards me and I realized what that had cost you, that you loved me enough to suffer humiliation for my sake, and when you embraced me and kissed me like a son, I couldn't say any more. In fact, the whole idea of doing a deal seemed so ridiculous. So I just shut up. I didn't tell him, but his was a stupid idea. He couldn't take my money to pay what he owed me. And anyway, if he worked as a servant all his life, he could never make up for the shame and the disgrace that he brought on me, not to mention all the pain and the anger and the grief. He couldn't repay that debt. And I didn't want him to do that. He was my son, not my servant. I didn't want him back as a slave. The only thing that would restore him back to me as a son was what I had just done. And that was out of my love and my grace for him. Well, that evening my house was packed. And we were having this fabulous party. There was lots of food, lots to drink, music and dancing. At any moment, I expected my older son to arrive. I knew that he'd been out in the fields, and I expected him to come in and greet the guests, apologize for being late and still being in his working clothes, go off and wash and change, and then join in in the great celebration. But then I heard a great commotion outside, and... My older son's unmistakable voice shouting loudly, What's going on here? The music faded away and the dancing stopped. I heard someone tell him, Your brother has come back and your father has killed the fatted calf and he's been restored and reconciled. Come in and celebrate with us. And then he exploded with terrible anger. No, he yelled. I will not go in. My father must be stark raving mad to do this. I won't go in and celebrate. And of course, everyone could hear. This was again desperately embarrassing for me. And they were embarrassed for me too. This was yet again another insult to me, the father. This time from the good boy. The boy that everyone thought was doing what I wanted. And here he was insulting me in my own home, in the hearing of the whole village. So again, what should I do? What would they expect? They probably thought I would tell the servants to go and overpower him, lock him in one of the rooms in the house and give him a good thrashing in the morning, telling him never to speak like that to me again. But I didn't. Because I loved that boy. Did I tell you I loved both of my sons? I loved him too. And so for the second time that day, I chose the costly path of humiliation. With all eyes on me, I left and went outside to him. Just as I'd gone outside the town to his brother in the morning, and rather than demanding an immediate apology, I pleaded with him to come in. He'd insulted me, but 
I was pleading with him. He was raging. He was yelling. And everyone could hear. Look, he said. Not even calling me father. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, but you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But he's my son, not a servant. My whole estate will be his eventually. Did he want me dead too? All this time he'd lived in my house, yet he didn't think of me as a son, but himself as a son, but as a slave. He was just as lost as my younger son. He'd spent his life obeying me, not because he loved me, but because he thought he had to. Because he thought he had to earn something from me. And now he was angry because I wasn't giving him what he thought he deserved. Then he shouted at me, but when this son of yours, that's his brother, surely. But when this son of yours comes back, who has squandered your property with prostitutes. And I thought, where did he get that from? I knew my younger son had squandered all my money, living it up. But I'd never heard that he had spent it sleeping with Gentile prostitutes. My older son was making that up, I'm sure. Was he trying to ruin the reputation of his brother and me so badly that no one would ever accept his brother or marry him? Is that how much he hated his brother and he hated me? And he went out, and he went on. But when he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him, which wasn't really true, for we weren't celebrating my son. The party wasn't in his honor. The party was for me. It was in honor of the father who had honored him and restored him and given his life back. I had called the village together to celebrate what I'd done. I'd forgiven him. I'd reconciled him. I'd restored him. So it was essential that there should be a celebration. But my older son, anger was terrible and insulting. So wrong. I tried to stay calm. I said, my dear son, I, my dear child, I use the special word for a dearly loved child rather than the word for son. My dear child, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. I know your brother doesn't deserve my love and my forgiveness any more than you deserve all that you've had from me already. Or that, you somehow have, or that you somehow have to work for it. Because, my son, it's not about who deserves what. It's all about my love and my grace. And my choice because I'm your father. And it's about my willingness to humiliate myself, first for his sake and now for yours, because that's who I am. That's my character. That's how much I love you. And I'm sorry my love is such an embarrassment to you. Well, I wish I could go on. I wish I could tell you what happened next. I wish I could give you a happy ending to this story, but I can't because Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't actually say this, um, end the story. 
he just stopped. He stopped. And so I've got to go. My story is told. Well, back to the present day and the real me. It's frustrating, isn't it? Just as the story is getting to a climax, it stops and we're told no more. What happened to those two sons? Did the older one accept his father's love? Did he embrace him? Did the two sons reconcile with each other? Did they stay faithful to their father for the whole of their lives? Did the villagers accept them? Did they all live happily ever after? Why didn't Jesus end this story? Why are there so many loose ends? I think the reason Jesus stopped there is so that you and I and all who hear the story can be the ones who finish it. For this is our story. Our story and the story of our loving Heavenly Father who so deeply loves us. It's a story that we should ponder on as we begin another year. In a few moments, I'm going to come around the communion table and once again remind ourselves of the incredible love of God in Jesus Christ, which is the basis of the story of the Father and his two sons. And as we do so, ask yourself, which of the sons do you most identify with? The younger one who went away from the father's love and then came back and was forgiven and restored? Or the older one who has always been surrounded by the father's love but had lost sight of it and saw it as a burden, a trudgery? Then put yourself in the story and ask yourself what you need to do this year to finish the story in a good way. And then think about the continuing discussions we'll have as a church next Sunday. What do we need to do to take God's love to the thousands of people living around us? so that this story may end in a good way for them as well. As we ponder these things and come around the communion table, listen to the words of Samuel Francis. It got to a very low point in his life where he contemplated suicide one night on a bridge over the River Thames in London and discovered, they had discovered the love and the acceptance of God. And it turned his life around as he wrote in this hymn. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, shoreless, boundless, full and free. Empty cross and tomb proclaiming, God, my Father's love for me. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, fast, unmeasurable, boundless, free, deeper than the deepest ocean, 
It's my Saviour's love for me. Friends of mine, yes, friends of sinners, teach me your befriending love like a current through me flowing from the Father's heart above. Amen. For those who are helping serve communion, come forward. Thanks. Take part in this communion service, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ, for we are his body. The Apostle Paul tells us this. I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a piece of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Your death, O Lord, we commemorate. Your resurrection we confess. Your final coming we await. Glory to be to you, O Christ. Father of all, we give you our grateful thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his, resurre his resurrection life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us. May we always marvel at your deep love and grace in Jesus and serve you with joy that your kingdom on earth might grow. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would the musicians come up? Isn't it lovely how, no matter how our worship music and songs change, we come back to the old hymns. 